Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church. Nice to see some additional new, not new friends, old friends with us today. People are starting to, this thing's starting to break, hopefully for good with this COVID thing, but uh, we'll keep that all in prayer still. Let's begin by praying together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together today. We thank you most of all for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We thank you, Father, for who you are, for your grace and your love and your righteousness. We thank you also, Father, that you've provided your word and that it's, it is never changing. It's always there for us. We thank you, Father, that you've given us the ability to gather together and you've given us the, the spiritual gifts to be able to help one another out in all the areas that are needed. We thank you also, Father, for the Holy Spirit. We pray this morning, Father, for those who are having a difficult time right now. We also pray, Father, for our country and for the persecuted church around the world. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, this month, our missionary friends are Grace Bible Church, Pakistan. Last week, I gave you more more information on them, but uh, they're continuing to grow both in their teaching ministry and their evangelistic ministry and their care for the orphans and so forth. So um, please keep them in prayer. If you have a chance, please go to their website and straight to www.gbcpakistan.org and please keep them in prayer. Also, I want to briefly let you know that Keithian Starling says hello. Spoke with him last week. He's got some really exciting things going on. Um, he has a, a ministry that is operating and growing in Kenya right now. He's got somebody on the ground. He calls it his Tim, him his Timothy, and they're starting to do some really exciting things there with training up men to be pastors and so forth. He also has a, um, plans to build uh, a couple of buildings that he's going to have for um, people that are transitioning from prison into the community. And the idea there also is to educate them on the Word of God, also give them a place to live that's safe and um, and edifying. So please keep that in prayer if you have an opportunity uh, to help that financially. Some of you may have received something in the mail about that. In any event, um, that's a great, great uh, ministry that we hope and pray that is, is, is blessed and becomes fruitful. And uh, we would just ask when the time is right uh, for you to be able to help us out in any way, help him out in any way. Also, a reminder, it's coming up. The last April 22nd to 25th, that's a Thursday through Sunday. Um, I will be out in Arizona at the Baram Ministries Conference. And we will not have services, either Skype on Thursday or here on Sunday. So both those services will not be held that week. So please make a note of that. It's coming right up. I gotta, gotta make sure I know what I'm gonna say when I get out there. They're inviting me out there, so gotta get busy on the messages. All right, let's begin. Today's message is on the title is out of John chapter three, um, and it's that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Please turn now to Gospel John chapter two, starting in verse twenty-three. We're picking up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. John chapter 2, verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, 
which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them. For he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning men, for he himself knew what was in man. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these things that you do, these signs that you do, unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again or born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who was born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you a teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, We speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now, two weeks ago when we were on the previous section of John chapter 2, we saw how Jesus arrived in Jerusalem. He came down from Galilee and it came up to Jerusalem geographically, and he was there before the start of the Passover. And remember, he went to the temple, and he, his zeal for the house of his father consumed him, and he, he just drove out all the animals that were there in that marketplace and the money changers because he said, you are making my father's house into a merchant place, a marketplace. And now he stays in Jerusalem. He will stay to celebrate the seven-day feast. While there, he performed miraculous signs. We're not told what they were. These are, this is not the same as the uh, miracle of changing water into wine at Cana. That was in Galilee. He's now come to Jerusalem and he's performed a whole new series of miracles. We don't know what they are, but we do know that it was something that many observed and many, as it says, believed in his name. This morning we're going to see that we have to be discerning when we see that word believe. I think we're trained, and good, good that we are, Um, coming from the the viewpoint of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, and that is by believing. But today we're going to get a little more discerning about that question of believing. And basically we're going to see that what really matters is not believing only. What really matters is who you believe in, what you believe in. And here it's going to matter who they thought Jesus was. Remember, that's the whole big question of the whole gospel of John is, who is Jesus? 
And as we go through this gospel, we should keep asking that question, not for us, but for the people that are, that are encountering Jesus. Who do they think he is? And this will develop, even with the disciples, their understanding of who he is. It wasn't as if that first day when they met him, they knew everything about him. Okay, it had to develop for them. Now, for us, it's different because we've already had, we have the benefit of what they all went through and where they got to. You see, now we proclaim what they finally came to understand because it's written down. So don't think that we have to necessarily have all these stages of faith. It's not, not true because we have the gospel. We believe the truth. That's, we're so blessed that we have it all written down, the complete Bible written down. But they didn't. As a matter of fact, we're going to see this morning that actually their scriptures were the Old Testament. And so when they were looking at what Jesus was saying and doing, um, if they were paying attention at all, if they wanted to relate it at all to God's word and their, and their history, they had to go to the scriptures of the Old Testament. Um, the, 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 the five books of the Pentateuch, Moses wrote um, the prophets, Psalms, historical books. That was their frame of reference. We're going to see how that, how that matters today. In this, in this material that we're going to go through when Jesus talked to Nicodemus by night. So that's where we pick things up this morning. Let's go back again to verse 23 of chapter 2. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing the signs which he was doing. I want you to notice that Jesus um, celebrated the Passover. So I say that because this was a different, we call it dispensation, it's a big fancy word, but it's a different time period than what we're in today. Jesus was still, the Bible says, he was still under the law in the sense of he was still following what the law had prescribed for a Jewish person to be doing. As a matter of fact, he completed the law so that, what, so that we cannot put in our understanding now of the gospel and say, why did he celebrate the Passover? I thought we were done with that, right? Well, they weren't. They were still, when Jesus, his whole life, he was still, as it were, under the law, under the, under the principles, the practices, the rituals. That was all still in place, and it would remain there until he rose from the dead. Okay. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, man as the human race, and any individual. For he himself knew what was in man. So we have here kind of a, 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 probably an unexpected contrast here. And again, we're used to looking in the scriptures and saying, aha, they believed that means they're Christians, right? Or in this case, they were, they were born-again Jews, or however you want to put it, right? But, but the response of Jesus tells us that there was, that, that was not all rosy what happened to them, that, that what they were believing was not really necessarily who Jesus really was. Because it's a, he, he has a reaction where he doesn't trust himself to them. So while there is something that they, that they saw, and it caused them to believe something, about Jesus, Jesus knew that, that because of the nature of man, and in this case, because that man is like very, you know, we're, we're, we're very impressed with the miraculous. Now, in his case, it really was the miraculous. Very impressed with that. 
And people can go a long way with that, you know, follow him for a long time. Gee, I wonder what miracle he's going to perform next. Wow, we're special. We're in this group where the guy that we're following is performing all kinds of miracles. But that's not believing in Christ for who he is. And we know that the whole message of the Gospel of John is that he is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, and the Son of God. And they certainly did not believe in him in that way here. Otherwise, he would have entrusted himself to them in the sense of understanding that they were members of his father's family. Okay. Many people saw the signs and believed in his name. But they were impressed with the signs. And um, in, in the other three Gospels, almost uniformly, Jesus sort of, sort of puts down the idea that they, that they should only believe in him because of signs. He criticizes them for that. Now, here in the Gospel of John, we have a different dynamic because here Jesus is performing signs and he's doing it for the purpose of so they would know who he is and believe in him. So there's a difference in understanding of how Jesus approached signs, okay, here in the Gospel of John. Of course, it's one Jesus, it's one ministry, but we get a different look at it here. So Jesus wasn't impressed with them. He knew it was in man. He knew that man was changeable and fickle and could have a, have a surface relationship with him. Meaning, it was just because he's a miracle worker. But you know how it goes. You're a miracle, work, miracle worker today, you have a demon tomorrow. I mean, that's what he experienced among these people. So he knew what was in man. All right. Jesus performed signs to help people believe in him. But not as a miracle worker. His objective wasn't for people to say, wow, what a miracle worker. He must be from God, like Elijah was a miracle worker and was from God and so forth, right? No, there was something much deeper here. There was something, the person of Christ was way beyond Anything that the Old Testament, obviously we know he's God. So that they, when they, their frame of reference was saying, miracle worker, he's from God. Okay, that fell short of the purpose of how Jesus brought these miracles forward. Remember, a, a sign is a miracle with a meaning. They saw the miracle, but they didn't understand the meaning. At least not yet. So, Jesus performed the signs to help people believe in him. But not believing him simply as a miracle worker. Believing in him as, as this is who he really was, as the Christ, the Son of God. This is where he's going to try to lead everybody that he comes in contact. To, un- to understand he's really the, the promised Messiah of the Jews and he's the Son of God. They didn't see that yet. Okay, so when it says that they believed in his name, you have to ask, well, what name were they giving him? See it? Miracle worker, but not the Christ, not the Son of God. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now, we just saw how Jesus said, I don't, trust my, I don't entrust myself to them. I know all men. I don't need anyone to tell me about men. I know what's in man. In all men, because we're all sinners, nothing good dwells in us. Right? Our hearts are full of wickedness. As a race now. I'm not talking about believers in Christ. But as a race, he knew that. But he also knew something else. And we, what, what comes to us here, in, starting in chapter 3, verse 1, is a sort of a typical Jewish person. And his reaction, what he saw, and how he identified Jesus, was, is really meant to be re- revealing about how the rest of the people right there in Jerusalem back then also saw him. Let's see that. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees 
named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. A man named Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews. The Pharisees were very learned. The Pharisees felt that they were the best teachers. Okay, they were also very proud. They became the arch enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Nicodemus was not typical of all that. He at least took at face value that these miracles were actually true. And as things go along in the Gospel of John, we're going to see him more and more come to an understanding of who Jesus is. You know, first when they want to, they want to capture him and put him to death back in chapter 7, not, not when, when the crucifixion occurs, but way before that. He would say, listen, let's not jump to conclusions here. Let's at least see who he is before we do that, right? And then when Jesus dies on the cross, Nicodemus, along with Joseph of Arimathea, are the ones who bury the body, okay? So that's this Nicodemus. He's a little different from your average Pharisee. He's also called a ruler of the Jews, now, that meant that he was in that ruling council. He was one of the big cheeses, if I could put it that way. He was the one who, who was, as a group, there were 70 of them, but they made the decisions, okay? He was a ruler, he was a leader, and in that sense, he was representative of the Jewish nation. So, so here's a man who is learned, should have understood the scriptures, a teacher, and a representative of the nation. So this is a pretty significant person, to have this encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to learn quite a few things here about Jesus and his relationship to Israel and also how the, how the nation as a whole was responding to him, as well as Nicodemus, as somewhat different from most of the leaders. Notice verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night. People want to make a lot of that. There's certain things that happen where in the Bible where the, the, the theologians all come up with their different theories. When I'm reading these, com- these commentaries now, I've figured it out. That when they get to the point where they're going to say, well, this one says this, this one says that, and that one says the other. I ignore it. I just move on. The only thing I'm interested in a little bit is what the author thinks at the end when he goes through all of these different possibilities. But even then, I'm skeptical. Um, in, any, in any event, this is one of them. By night, they want to put all kinds of extra meaning associated with it. Or he was ashamed to be seen with him. Or the night just meant that he was darkness. He had darkness, didn't understand anything. No, it's just talking about what time of day it was. <laughs> and he said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher. Notice these words carefully. We know that you have come from God. Now that's, of course, different from son of God. Right, which we've already seen in the prologue. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What, what he is saying is, well, we've seen some miracles, and we know from the Old Testament that miracles are associated with people who have come from God. So like maybe Elijah, for example, or Moses, came from God, and as a teacher, as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, all of this is true as far as it goes. But it falls far short of who Jesus is. Of who Jesus is. So here we are in verse 1, and we learn two things right in verse 1 about Nicodemus. Just to to reinforce this, he was a Pharisee. We talked about that a little bit. He was a ruler of the Jews. That meant he was a member of something called the Sanhedrin. That's a word that you'll see, and it just means the leadership of the nation. Okay, the Sanhedrin, the ruling council. Now, in verse 10, we learn one other thing, and I, I already mentioned to you, but notice verse 10. 
Jesus answered and said to Nicodemus, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? So in addition to being a Pharisee, scholar of the Old Testament, and a, a ruler, so he's a scholar and ruler, he's also a teacher. That's verse 10. So there's three things that we know about Nicodemus from, this, from chapter 3. That he was a Pharisee, that he was a ruler, and that he was a teacher. So I hope you can see that he had a very significant influence and, and role and stature on the people. After all, he was one of their leaders. After all, he was a Pharisee, highly respected. And after all, he was the teacher of the Jews. Okay. That's important. In other words, this wasn't just somebody who had seen him and was coming to get more information. Now, he was that, but we have to understand the significance. Why did John, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, record this conversation? I'm sure there were many, many others. We know there were many other miracles and many other conversations, but this one is significant because of who Nicodemus is, was. So what I'm saying here is that Nicodemus is about to fill in the blanks of what many people were believing about Jesus at that time. What did they believe? They believed Jesus was a great teacher. That certainly was true. They believed that God was with him. That certainly was true. But we know from the prologue already as readers that he is way, way, way more than that. He's the promised Messiah. He was the one that all the Old Testament prophets pointed to. He's also the Son of God. They didn't, again, come close to that understanding at this point. They thought he was a great teacher, and they believed that God was with him. When it says believe in his name, it means they believe that about him. That's why we need to, we need to have some discernment and discretion. We can't always assume that because if somebody believes, it says that, doesn't mean that he believes in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior. Because it's believing in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior. That is the gospel by which we are become believers and born again and the new creature and all that. So that's not these people yet. I want to emphasize that. Let's think about this. They believe that Jesus was a great teacher. But Nicodemus, who came to him by night, was also a great teacher. Right? Nicodemus was not the son of God. Nicodemus was not the Messiah. Now, they said that he was, he was uh, that God was with him, sent by God. But we've already seen that John the Baptist was sent by God. And he was the one, when he saw Jesus, said, I am not fit to untie the, the, the whatever's on his sandals. Get old. You know, the sandal strap. Um, so he was basically saying, look, I'm nothing. I may have come from God, but I'm nothing compared to this one, Jesus Christ. Okay? He's the Lamb of God. He is God's Son. He is the Messiah. And I want you to think about this today. I want you to think about how the world sees Jesus Christ today. Those of, those of them that are I'm not thinking of him totally negative, by the way, because there's certainly millions and billions of people that hate him. The Bible says they would. The Bible says that the world will hate you because the world hated me. Right? But I'm talking about the people who are just looking at him and they're not believers. What do they say about him? Guess what they say? They say that. Oh, Jesus, he was a great teacher. We'll accept that. He had some great moral principles that he gave the human race. We like that. He was also, we, we say, yes, God was with him. I mean, the, 
the, the Muslims believe that Jesus was a great teacher and that God was with him. Problem is, they don't believe him as the Son of God or as the Lamb of God. So I hope you understand here the difference in that, in that we, have, we need to... The reason is, is because if you just say, well, he believes, right? Well, the Muslims believe. In fact, James will say, the demons believe, Right? That's, the issue is who you believe in and who he is and who you understand him to be. All right. I think I made that point, but we'll keep moving on. They do not believe that he is the son of God. That's the key. He's not the son. They don't, he is the son of God. They don't believe he's the son of God. And they don't believe he's the Jewish Messiah. And they don't believe he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. At least not yet. At least not yet. It matters who you believe Jesus is. It, it, that's a life and death issue. Your eternal destination depends on who you believe Jesus is. Uh, if you believe he's a great teacher, then that's it. Then you're not saved. If you believe just that God was with him, that he was close to God, you're, and that's it. You're not saved. It's when you believe that he's God's son and he came and he died for the sins of the world and he was raised from the dead to show who he is. Aha, when you believe in him as that, as your savior, as the Lord of all, now you're, now you're saved. Okay. So Nicodemus at this point didn't believe that he was the Messiah. Now Jesus listened to what Nicodemus had to say. He listened. He heard him say what he said. That he said, listen, we know you're, you've come from God as a teacher. No one can do these signs that you do unless God was with him. Now, Nicodemus meant it as a compliment. Jesus didn't take it as a compliment. Because he, his goal was not for people to say, wow, what a great teacher. I say this about myself all the time. My purpose here isn't for people to say at the end, wow, what a great message. What a great teacher. And like, listen, I, there's nothing good in me of myself. And it's not, the issue isn't how eloquent I am or how smart I am. The issue is who do I point to and what message about him have you received today? And so, so, so Nicodemus, again, Jesus was not satisfied with what he had to say. But the fact is, Jesus knew what was in his heart that day because he knew all men. And he knew one thing about Nicodemus that we need to understand as well. He was blinded by his religion, by his religion. His approach to the Lord Jesus showed that he was blinded by his religion and by his pride. He, he saw himself as, a, as important. He saw himself as a defender of all that the Pharisees taught. Now, some of what the Pharisees taught was good. But when it came to the, 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 how you should live your life and your relationship with the Lord, they were clueless, Okay. And we'll see in a little while, Nicodemus was as well. And Jesus would point this out to him. He was blinded by his religion. We're going to see that in a minute with respect to the kingdom. And he was blinded by his pride. Jesus was no way a teacher like Nicodemus. He's the Messiah. He's the king. He's the son of God. And he knew who he was. So Jesus gave a reply. And while he was blinded by his religion... He was blindsided by what Jesus said, the reply. When did Jesus say? Verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, 
Hey, yes, you recognize me as a great teacher and I'm from God. That's awesome. Let's go get some coffee. I don't know if they had coffee back then. No, he, no, 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 no. He understood the heart of Nicodemus. That it was very, very, very far away from the things of God. So what did he say to him? He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What was he saying? Nicodemus, you are not born again. And therefore, you can't even see the things of the kingdom of God. And what's the most important thing about the kingdom of God? This isn't complicated. What's the mo- or I mean, I'll make it even easier. Who is the most important thing about the kingdom of God? The king, exactly. So, he, so if he didn't see that Jesus was the king, how he didn't understand anything about the kingdom of God. And he wasn't born again, born from above. You could take that word either way in the Greek. Again, from above. It's really both. He was born again, anew, and it was from above because it's from God. Okay. So now we have this, I love this, we have this series of people talking past one another. Right? Hey, you're a great teacher. Hey, you're going to be born again. Right? And then he hears that. You have to, I have to be born again. What does he say in verse 4? How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Now, I don't know how seriously to take this, Nicodemus, at this point. Was this a true answer? Or was he kind of being a little sarcastic and combative with Jesus? I kind of think that latter. Right? In any event, he clearly didn't understand the spiritual truth that Jesus was presenting. So what does Jesus do? Well, as a good teacher, a really good teacher, he's going to repeat himself, but he's also going to say it a different way, hoping that the student gets the point. How does he put it in verse 5? Jesus answered, and again he says, truly, truly. What that means is that this is truly from the word of God. This is truly what God is thinking about the situation. This is important. Truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born, now notice what he says this time. He said, unless one is born again from above. Now he's going to say something else concerning this birth. What is he going to say? Unless one is born of water and spirit, water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about Nicodemus, but if if I was plugging along with my understanding that it was my good deeds that would qualify me to enter into the kingdom, the kingdom where all the promises to Israel would be fulfilled, the promises to Abraham, promises to David, the new covenant that Jeremiah prophesied about. And I'm not going to get in that because of something that you're telling me that I don't have. I thought I had what it takes. I thought if anybody from Israel in this day and age would have been able to get into that kingdom, it would have been a Pharisee, a teacher, and a leader. That's what he thought. So he must have been mortified by what he heard, especially when he heard it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot even enter into the kingdom of God. Now, here's the issue. This is why he was blinded by his religion. The Pharisees were teaching the people that they could enter the kingdom if they kept the law. Now, you can see why they would teach that. But the fact of the matter is, is that as you, again, as you move along, and you have to move along in the scriptures, yes, they were given the law, but yes, they, they disobeyed it and fell short of it. Everybody, again and again and again, and the whole history of the Old Testament nation of Israel proves it. 
to the point where Paul is going to basically say, listen, there's none righteous, not even one. If anybody would have ever had a chance, it would have been the Jewish nation because they had all the advantages. They had the temple sacrifices. They had the law. They couldn't do it. Not one of them could get in by that means. So there had to be another means. Okay? But see, Nicodemus didn't understand that. But worse, he was teaching the people the same thing. He was teaching people that, listen, you can get in if you just obey the commandments, do, come to all the feasts, get all, do all the animal sacrifices, and you're in. Kind of sounds like the religion I was brought up in. <laughs> if you do this, that, and the other thing, you'll be in. Of course, the question that I always had was, how many? <laughs> how many times that gets me in, you know? Is this, do I get a B average and get in, or do I have to have straight A's, or what's the deal? Because none of that, that is not how you get in. Right? Because here's the thing. That way that they were teaching was absolutely impossible. Let's go to one example of that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. I want you to notice who Jesus brings up and what he says. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. For I say to you, talking to the Jewish people, particularly his disciples, I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You will not unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, here's the thing. In, In their community at that time, the most righteous of all in their eyes and in the eyes of the of the people in the know were the scribes and the Pharisees. So he's basically saying, listen, they're not getting in, and you won't either unless you're perfect. And you're not. I mean, that's basically what he's saying. Another time he would say, you know what? It is so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to go into the kingdom of heaven. Now, was he really condemning rich people at that point? A lot of people think that. A lot of people think, oh, what he meant was if I just get poor enough, then I can go into the kingdom of heaven. Not at all. He was, this is where you have to understand, like, who is he talking to? And he's talking to a society who thought that the other thing that marked you out as somebody who would definitely go into the kingdom was wealth. That wealth was a sign of favor from God. Now, we've never gotten over that. I mean, people, loads of people still think that today in the church. Quotes. Where they think that, you know what, if you're really, one of the marks of a great Christian was that the Lord has blessed them financially. I wish they would tell that to the Apostle Paul when he was homeless and going around in the Mediterranean region and was, was, had nothing, you know. So anyway, don't get me on that one. But. So the point is, is that nothing that you can do will qualify you for the kingdom of heaven. Therefore... It's something that God has to do to you. To you. A man must be born anew from above. And that's something that flesh cannot do. Flesh cannot make ourselves born again anew of God. See, flesh is flesh. Spirit is spirit. Flesh can produce of its own kind. That's what we call marriage and babies. Okay? But, that, but you cannot make someone born of God. That requires God, and it requires faith in the Lord for that to happen. But of course, at this point, Nicodemus was taken aback. I don't know if it was shock or blindness. 
But he didn't even hear the part about the kingdom of God. All he was fixated on was physical birth. And he's thinking to himself, wait a minute, the only way to get into the kingdom is if I go back in my mother's womb and be born and over and over, all over again. I can't do that. Jesus shaking his head. But he won't take the bait. This is so important, by the way. When you're witnessing to people, don't take the bait. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is they want to make it of every other issue except the fact that they're a sinner and there's a righteous God and there's a judgment and that they need a Savior. Anything but that. Well, you know, in the book of Genesis, it says that there was seven days, but the sun wasn't there yet, so what was the day? Wah, 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 wah. Don't take this the wrong way, but who cares? Who cares to try to match up what the Bible says with the current science of the day? But that's one of the things people will throw out. But they're not really interested in your answer. They're really interested in distracting, getting away from. I don't want to talk about what you just said. Nicodemus, I don't want to even consider the idea that there's something that I can't do for myself that only God can do for me or else I can't get into this kingdom that all of the promises of Israel will be, will be fulfilled in. So instead, I'm going to pick apart, supposedly, this argument on the natural level and talk about being in my mother's womb and so forth. But what does Jesus do? The same thing you should do when you're preaching the gospel. Say it again. But you can, of course, put different specifics in there, how you describe it. So in other words, if somebody is Jewish and you basically just give them the gospel away pure and say, listen, you have to believe that you're a sinner and that you're going to be judged and that there's nothing you can do about it and that God sent his son to die for your sins and he was raised from the dead. You say that. Right, And then you can see the person hasn't accepted that yet. So then you come back around and you say, listen, here's what you need to understand. You're Jewish. He's the Jewish Messiah as well. Does that help? You see what I'm saying? But it's always on the one message. Who is Jesus? And believing in him is the whole issue. Same thing here. Jesus answered, truly, truly. There's that expression again. Pay attention. This is important. That's what Jesus was saying. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, one good thing about, at this point, Nicodemus was at least he didn't start to get fixated on water. Right? By the way, the church has done that a lot over the years. Get fixated on water. Should it be on the head? Should it be immersion? Should it be sprinkle? What the heck, you know? It should be... The issue isn't the water, although I, I like drinking water when I teach because my throat gets dry. But it has nothing to do with being born again. So at least Nicodemus didn't go there, which was good. He's, so Jesus basically makes a replacement. He replaces born again from above with another way of describing it. Born of water and spirit. Oh, it's the same thing. He's talking about being born again, but now he's giving more information about how that is. You have to be born of water and spirit. Both of those expressions are describing one birth, one birth, single birth. Born again from above, born of water and spirit. They, they are talking about the same birth. But without this new birth that, again, no Jewish person could engineer for themselves, it's, they're incapable of entering the kingdom of God. So now that we see the centrality of this birth, we really, anybody would need to ask this question. I'm sure Nicodemus did. What is this new birth? What does it mean? Without this new birth, a man is incapable 
of entering the kingdom of God. Now, now Jesus says another thing, and I want, I'm going back to it, and that's in verse 10. Okay, look at verse 10 again. Jesus answered and said to him, this is after he talks about being born from above, after he talks about being born of water and spirit, after he talks about the wind, after all he's taught about this birth from above, the final thing he does is he says this. He says in verse 10, well, in verse 9, Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Still doesn't get it. And Jesus answered, he's finally saying, listen, are you the teacher of Israel? And you do not understand these things? Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Now, what does that tell you? It basically, it's simple. It tells you that a teacher of Israel at that time should have understood the need for the new birth. Now, that may be surprising because we think about that in terms of our Christian understanding. But you've got to remember that he's pointing, he says, listen, you're the teacher of Israel. You should understand that. What does that mean? It means that from your own scriptures, you should have already known that a man must be born of water and spirit to enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus as a Jew. He's surprised that the teacher of Israel would be ignorant of this birth. He's the ruler of the Jews, the teacher of the Jews. And so what what, what Jesus is now talking about is Israel. And not the church. Just to be clear about this, okay? For the simple reason that everything about this is Israel. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a ruler of the Jews. He's a teacher of the Jews. And Jesus is saying a teacher of the Jews should already know this. Now, believe you me, I'm not saying it's only an issue for Israel. Clearly not. We all must be born from above. okay? But here, it is about Israel. It is about Israel here. That's why he was surprised that a teacher of Israel would be ignorant of it. He's a ruler of the Jews. He's the teacher of the Jews. This is about Israel, not the church. That's why one of the other reasons why we can be sure when he says born of water and spirit, he's not talking about Christian baptism. The church wouldn't come on the scene until after Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. Okay, so this is before that. He's talking in terms of the Old Testament scriptures about what Israel already understood about the kingdom. And one of the basic things that they needed to know was that this is the kingdom on earth that Christ the Messiah will rule when he returns to earth at the second coming. That kingdom, earthly kingdom. After all, to the, after all, the kingdom of God, Jesus calls earthly later on. In verse 12, we'll see that. We already saw that. We read this. Yeah, look at verse 12. When he's summarizing what he's saying, one of the other things he says in verse 12 is, if I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? What he's basically saying is, the kingdom of God is earthly. It's going to be on earth. And the Old Testament scriptures, the prophets knew that. If I'm telling you these things and you don't get it as the teacher of Israel, how can we possibly move on to the heavenly things. How can we do that? You need to understand the earthly things first. All right. So, so Jesus was surprised that a teacher of Israel would not understand this birth by water and spirit. Because it was by this birth that one would enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God would be commenced when the Messiah comes down. 
All of that, by the way, is Old Testament prophecy. Not a word of what I just said was not... Every word I just said was revealed to the Jews in the prophets. Okay? That Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, would come and he would rule on earth when he comes back. And Jesus was surprised, therefore, that this Nicodemus, this teacher of Israel, would not understand this, this new birth by water and spirit. Why was he surprised? Why was he surprised that the teacher of Israel wouldn't understand this new birth by water and spirit by which you enter into the kingdom of God? Well, there's only one reason why you would be surprised, and that's got to be it's found in the Old Testament. And remember, who are we talking about? A Pharisee, supposed to be an expert on the Old Testament, supposed to be teaching the people about everything in the Old Testament, what it meant, and he totally missed this. Totally missed this. All right, let's go on to verse 6. No, let's not do that. Let's first see what he should have known. All right, and we go to Ezekiel to do that. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24. This isn't really important. This is why Jesus was surprised that Nicodemus didn't understand this. This being born again, born from above, new birth, new life, on the basis of water in the Spirit. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24. This is the Old Testament. This is the Jewish prophets. This is something a Pharisee ought to have known. That's why Jesus was surprised. By the way, why didn't Nicodemus know that? I'll give you one, I'll give you a visual for it. Blind. (laughs) Blind. Jesus would say that again and again. Paul would say it at the end of the book of Acts. He would say, listen, you have eyes, but you don't see. You have ears, but you don't hear. Right? That's the problem with Nicodemus. It was right there in print, but he didn't understand it anymore. He was so wrapped up into the the particulars of his religious practice, that he couldn't see this. Let's look at what this is. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24. Now the setting is, Ezekiel is a prophet that that is prophesying to the Jews while they're in exile in Babylon. And his basic role, if I could put it that way, was to give hope to the people. And the way that he did that was to tell them about the kingdom. About they would, there would be a day when the king would return. And then that, that the remnant of Israel, by the way, those who were born again, would go in. Notice what he says. I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. They would be dispersed among all the nations. They're still dispersed among all the nations today. But when the Lord's coming back, he'll be gathered from all the lands. The angels will come and bring them from every land, and they will be brought into their own land, into the promised land. We saw in Isaiah this last week when we studied it together on Thursday evening about how the promise of that land grant from the Nile River all the way to the Euphrates River would be fulfilled when Jesus comes back. Same thing here. I will bring you into your own land. But notice what he says next. Verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. That was one of the things that had to happen in order for you to enter into the kingdom. You had to be clean. 
I don't mean physically clean. I mean in terms of cleansed of your sins. So now we, of course, have the same thing, on it, but we're heavenly people. I want to make this distinction. The Jews are earthly people. Before they can enter into the earthly kingdom, they have to be cleansed. Same thing, we had to be cleansed too. We had to have all our sins forgiven and be declared righteous by God the Father. And that's something we couldn't do either. Only the blood of Christ could do that. So I want you to see the parallels. Okay. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and all your idols. You won't cleanse yourself. That's religion. That's religion. People think that they can somehow do something to cleanse themselves, purge themselves of their sinfulness. It's impossible. Flesh will not cast out flesh. I will do it. Verse 26, moreover, I will give you a new heart. You can't produce it. I will put a new spirit within you. This is what? Born anew. Born from above. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. Now notice verse 27. Remember Jesus said, unless unless a man is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom. Ezekiel is teaching the people in exile. You will enter the kingdom when this happens. When what happens? When the Lord cleanses you, sprinkle clean water, and when he removes your heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh. And then verse 27, I will put my spirit within you, born of water and the spirit. There will be a day, Joel prophesies about it, when the spirit will be poured out on all of the Jewish remnant before they enter into the kingdom. They will be born anew of water and spirit. Okay. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes. It wasn't as if the law was bad. The law is good. The law is good. To to, to realize that we should not kill, that we should honor our parents, that we should worship the Lord, him alone. Those are all good things. That was never the issue. The issue wasn't the law. The issue was man was incapable of keeping it. So it's only after being born anew born of water and the Spirit, that the nation of Israel, the remnant, could finally keep the, the, uh, the statues that the Lord had given them. And it's the same is true about us. I mean, I mean there's, there's certain people, they call big fancy name. I won't, it's called antinomian. It just means that they don't think that they have to live by any kind of principles anymore, any kind of law, that they're just totally free. They can do whatever they want. That's the opposite of what God's objective is with grace, by the way. All right? Titus will say, listen, you've been graced out so that God can prepare people for himself, purified. All right? That's never changed. It was never changed for Israel as well. I will put my spirit, verse 27, within you and cause you. You can't do it, but I'll cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful. He doesn't say, he's not asking him anymore. He's saying, when you're born anew of water in the Spirit, you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land I gave to your forefathers, and you will be my people, and I will be your God, because I will do it. I will do it, the Lord says. Now, when is this going to happen? Has it already happened? I mean, let's be real here. Do we have a remnant of Israel that's been gathered over the whole earth to be placed in the promised land from, from, from the Nile River to the river Euphrates and all of them are careful to keep the statutes of the Lord? Are you serious? Of course not. It's never happened. 
And it won't happen until this happens. The time of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's when the kingdom will be set up. That's why they have to be born of water and spirit before they can enter. And they will be. God will make sure of it. Okay. Now we'll go to chapter six, chapter 3, verse 6 of John. Let's go back to John as we close this morning. That's how I give the people hope. When we've been at it for a little while, I say, we're closing soon. <laughs> uh, that's not always true. Sometimes I get distracted again. But John 3, 6. Here we go again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's a simple, you know, people try to struggle with that. What does it mean? Basically, what it's saying is natural humanity can only produce natural humanity. This isn't even talking about the sin as the seat of, of the of flesh as the seat of sin here. It's a basic principle about humanity. Humanity can only produce humanity in its fallen state, for sure. Flesh, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Flesh alone can't get you into the kingdom. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And that's the issue. Do not be amazed, therefore, that I said to you, you must be born again. Again, flesh here does not, does not refer to indwelling sin. I say that because in Paul, very often it does. But again, we must not bring Paul back into the gospel period. Because he hasn't come on the scene yet. And Jesus hasn't been glorified yet. And the Spirit hasn't come upon the church yet. All right, so don't do that. No, flesh here basically means humanity. It's simple, natural humanity. Basically, he's saying being born into a human family. And this was important for the Jews because they thought that was how you entered the kingdom. I'm a child of Abraham. Of course I'm going to enter the kingdom. That was their thinking. But of course, that was settled already in the Gospel of John chapter 1. We're going to go there in just a second. But he basically said, listen, it doesn't matter that you've been born of the will of man or of flesh. That's not how you get into the kingdom. Flesh cannot give birth to spirit. So what does it mean to be born of the Spirit? Well, let's, let's stay with our parallel here. If to be born of the flesh means to be born into a human family, flesh, flesh, what does it mean to be born of the Spirit, of God? Be born into the family of God. God is Spirit. This is really not complicated. I say this because these are the kind of passages that people make needlessly complicated when it's totally simple. Flesh, human family. Spirit, God's family. Child of the flesh, child of God. God is spirit. Flesh can't give birth to spirit. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We ought to worship in spirit. We ought to put no confidence in flesh. Okay, let's go to John 1. Back up to John 1. We've already been over this ground. But again, I have to tell you this. That we have an unfair advantage over the people that Jesus is talking to in the Gospel of John. Okay, he's going to talk to them and show them signs and uh, challenge them again and again and again. And most of the people are going to learn to hate him. Not learn to, but decide to hate him. And some minority will. That remnant principle is totally at work in the ministry of Jesus, by the way. 
But we get to know the whole thing up front. Everything we need to know about who Jesus is is in the first chapter. Unfortunately, the first chapter is outside of the events of the rest of the book. So we have that unfair advantage. We already know this if we've been paying attention when we were in chapter 1. Look at chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become what? Children of God. What does it mean to be born of the Spirit? To become a child of God. And how does that happen? Even to those who believe in his name. But here we know his name. Okay, his, in that sense, we know his identity. Right? He is the Christ, the Son of God. Okay. Who were born, now here's the key. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. It had nothing to do with man. It had nothing to do what family you were born into. Nothing. But of God. Born of God. Child of God. Born of God. All right. Let's continue now as we definitely close this morning. John 3.8. Very interesting where he goes next. He's now going to teach some things about what it means to be a child of God, to be born anew of the Spirit. John chapter 3, verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Everyone who is in the family of God, the child of God, which is not the human race, as the world want to tell you. It's those who've been born from, of God, born of the Spirit. Everyone. We're like the wind. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it. But you didn't know where it comes from or where it's going. You just hear it as it passes by. You see the effect of it in the trees. It goes wherever it wants to. But you do not know yourself where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, you can't see this in the English, but the Greek word for wind is the same Greek word for spirit. It's, the, it's pneuma. It's pneuma, pneuma, whatever. P-N-E-U-M-A. Same word. So he's basically has a little play on words here. He's basically saying the pneuma blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the pneuma. A little play on words, right? Some words have more than one meaning in the English. Some words have more than one meaning in the Greek. Let me quickly give you an English example. I love sports. It's going to be a baseball example. You can walk when you get a walk. But to score a run, you have to run. How's that? Same thing here. See, the same word, but two very related meanings, but different. That's what he has here. What he's saying is, is that, listen, the, the wind shares some characteristics with those born of the Spirit. That's what he's saying here. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. I mean, even Mary Poppins didn't know where the wind was blowing, right? 
All right, so what, are the, what is this saying? What is it really? Do you think Jesus just wants us to become meteorologists, learn about the wind? Of course not. He's teaching us some things about what it means to be born of the Spirit. What are those things? Three things. Freedom. Jesus would say the same, well, Paul would say the same thing. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The wind is free. It blows where it wishes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Being heard. Being heard. The the wind, you hear the sound of it. Now this doesn't just mean this. It also means the fact that, that those who are born of the Spirit have something to say. That they have the Word of God. And people with ears to hear will hear it. And also mystery. There's a great mystery, ultimately, about all who have been born of the Spirit. Both in terms of origin. This is what Nicodemus couldn't see. He's saying, listen, you have to be born of God. There's an origin. You think about origin in terms of Abraham. But really, the key issue is to know the origin of being born again, which is the Spirit. And then, of course, the destination. The world doesn't know where we're headed. The world doesn't understand the rapture. The world doesn't understand that Jesus has prepared a place for every, every believer and that he's going to come and bring them to that place. See, the world thinks about destination of a human being in terms of either think they're in the ground and that's it or the, re- the reincarnation crowd. Right? You just come back in the same form. I can't think of anything more horrible than to come back again in the flesh. Can't think of anything more. I guess coming back as a rabbit would be worse. But, <laughs> but maybe not again. You wouldn't live as long, but you know. Can, oh, never mind. I'm not getting into that. Um, mystery as to origin and destination. That's what it means to be born of the Spirit. Okay. Now I want you to show something here about Jesus, the whole subject this morning. Look at John 8, 14. The miraculous thing about Jesus is that he was born of a woman, but he was also God himself. The Word became flesh. So if this was true of anybody, it's true of Jesus. Notice how he puts it in chapters 8, verse 14. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I testify about myself, you can hear me, those with that ears. My testimony is true. Why? Notice. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. I am like the wind. You don't know. I know. I know where I came from, the Father. I know where I'm going, the Father. But you don't know where I came from or where I'm going. That's what it means to be born of the Spirit. The Spirit, like the breath of the wind, will cause men to be born again. And a teacher of Israel ought to have known that. So I just want to go back to Ezekiel one more time to prove that as well. We saw in chapter 36 that a Jewish teacher should have known that in order to enter into the kingdom, they had to be born anew of water and spirit to be cleansed and then to be, have a new heart born of water and spirit. They also should have known about the wind, the breath of the wind being the spirit caused men to be born anew, to a new life. Look at Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 7. And this will be it. 
the Lord gave him a prophecy into the future, into the time of the kingdom. What does he say? I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them. And flesh grew, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, notice, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Verse 11, he explains, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Israel. This is the remnant who will go into the kingdom but have to be born again. These bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is perished. We're completely cut off. We have no hope of getting into the kingdom. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves And I will cause you to come out of your graves, my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, kingdom. Then you will know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves and caused you to come out of your graves, my people. That's, by the way, will happen. The Old Testament saints and the ones who died during the tribulation period, the martyrs, they will be resurrected when Jesus comes back. But notice what else, verse 14 I will put my spirit within you and you will really come to life. And I will place you on your own land. This will happen. This was why it's not possible to enter the kingdom of God without being born anew of water and spirit. And a teacher of Israel ought to have known it. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. Okay, with that we end. We'll continue next Sunday with verse 11 of chapter 3. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the incredible, incredible deposit and inheritance of your word. We thank you, Father, that we have every possible blessing in the spiritual places. And that that it comes to our understanding by means of your word. Especially the things that were never understood before. That were mysteries that now have been revealed. Particularly through the ministry and writings of Paul who was the worst sinner who ever lived, and who Jesus, your son, picked to be the one that would receive this new revelation based on his resurrection of the dead, based on Jesus' resurrection from the dead. But, Father, as with with all things, we would ask that those aspects of today's message that, that really touched our hearts, that really we understood to mean something to us as believers that we would particularly have those things written in our hearts and have them available, Father, both in terms of how we live and in terms of being heard, of the message that we have to give. May it be an enriched, more powerful message, Father, all for the power of your word and the power of the cross coming through us with our understanding even more of who you are, who your son is, and the ultimate destiny of both the saved and the unsaved. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll continue studying Isaiah this Thursday, 630.
We're on Skype. If you go on our website, you'll find what you need to get on Skype. Because believe me, I would need that if this is my first time. Um, but please join. I know most of you have done it before. But um, always people watching on the internet, maybe you haven't done it yet. If that's you, you're missing something big. You want to go to the website, find out how to get on Skype, and be there 6.30 Eastern time from the more other time zones. Thursdays. We pray at the end of that. We covet to know the things that you want us to pray about. And that's simple too because we have a place on the front page of our our, our website, the home page, where you can just click on it and type in your prayer. All right. One other thing, if you have any questions about today's message or about the Bible or about the times we're living in and how they relate to the Word of God, anything like that, um, just send me an email and I will do my best to answer them. Okay. Let's close again. Heavenly Father, we just ask now that as we leave again that you would touch our hearts to understand what your will is for us this week. We pray, especially at the end now, Father, for those members of our family, the congregation, who are suffering today, some of them in very, very difficult circumstances. We would pray, Father, that your word would also enliven their hearts, that even though the flesh may be getting weaker, We know that the inner man is being renewed day by day through your word and your spirit. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.